I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Hello, and welcome to The Trump Report. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. I'm Christian Blatt, joined uh, by the full complement. Uh, we're at uh, complete full powers here. Christian Blatt, of course, joined by Chelsea Galicia. Hello. Scott Moore. Hey, guys. Tamara Brown, and uh, from our original permutation of this show, the one, the only, Mr. Drexel Hurd joining us for a little bit. Drexel, thank you for taking the time. Hello, everybody. It's glad to be back. I'm glad to be back. Glad uh, to have you. So, as uh, you know, our, our time is limited with Drexel, so I'll talk to everybody else first. No, uh, Drexel, I'm going to dive in. <laughs> and um, just wanted to kind of get an, an overall assessment of, you know, look, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about where we think the Trump re-election effort might be, but I wanted to kind of get your thoughts as to sort of the reality of five months out and the danger that, uh, you know, Democrats, people actively involved in, in campaigning, but also sort of more casual voters are going to take of like, just thinking now like, Oh yeah, there's no way, <clears throat> there's no way Donald Trump will ever get reelected, which was kind of part of the problem the first time. So uh, give me your thoughts as to sort of where we are in, in terms of this and the danger that I alluded to. Sure. I mean, that's a lot of a question, but I think that um, right now, I think what's different between 2016 and 2020 is the fact that um, Americans have seen the danger uh, of what happens when you test something out. Um, you know, our our country is very young. And democracy is something that um, will continue to evolve for a very long time. Uh, and every once in a while, we get it right. And uh, every once in a while, we get it really wrong. And then this time, we got it really wrong. And so I think Americans are starting to wake up to that. Uh, what has thrown a wrench into uh, this year, of course, is the pandemic and something that people are still trying to figure out how best to navigate through. Um, here at the LA County Democratic Party, uh, we're constantly working with the state party to try to figure out how best we can reach voters um, in a way that is creative and different. Um, and and so I think that that is 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 kind of where everybody is right now. Um, it's going to be really tough, and folks can't get a little complacent just because we have a communication problem in the sense that we are so nuanced in a lot of the things we say that it kind of flies over people's heads. Uh, the idea that the slogan like Make America Great Again really got people jazzed up um, worked. Uh, and, and, and so we've got to figure out how to simplify, simplify um, uh, issues for voters. And I think that's what you're going to see over the next few months, uh, certainly uh, with somebody as folksy as Joe Biden. Um, and, and whoever Does he, he have a slogan? I got uh, one I, I, corrupt free government for all. I, I don't know that the vice president <laughs> just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> I don't know that the vice president needs a slogan, but um, I, I think that that the 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 reality the, for, for the vice president, I think he's going to have to. Um, uh, I, I think what we've seen this time and what I've loved about this cycle uh, post primary is that you've actually started to see the Democratic all the Democratic rivals actually come together more than we have seen in the past. Uh, whether or not it's Bernie Sanders, whether or not it's uh, you know Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris, everybody from different parts of the Democratic Party certainly have taken the time, uh, not necessarily to talk about just about Joe Biden, but all of, but about the Democratic values and, and what voters are gonna be up against this, uh, this November, uh, starting particularly with the president's lies as it pertains to vote by mail. And, uh, and, and, and that's gonna be our biggest challenge going into November. Right, and I think that the uh, what we're we're seeing there's uh, voting going on today. Uh, so I think that what you're going to see is, you know, uh, Scott, Chelsea, and Drexel all remember that uh, election night was a little bit of a long night for us uh, in 2016. I think it'll be a, a much longer night this year in that we probably won't have a particularly clear picture that night. You might have some indications, but because there'll be such a you know, regardless of the laws in different states, there will be a lot of voting by mail. And, you know, you, it just has to be postmarked on that day. So we really might not know for like a week. So that means that we have to stay in the studio for a whole week and not stop broadcasting at any point. Uh, so I just I just want to make sure everybody clears their schedule and, and keeps that in mind. 
But I mean, th- as long that's as there's of... plexiglass in front of each of us. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, and I'll that's... be coloring the 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 wallet. And we'll have to change it. We'll change the board. <laughs> I know. Boats shift, and we'll I, wait. You know, they they asked me if I wanted that, and I and I I told them they could throw it away. I don't know why I didn't ask them to save that. It was too large to fit it in my car. It was, it was. Too, too huge. That was the problem. It was huge. That thing was huge. But uh, so yeah, I mean, look, I think that from a you know, there look, there's so much there's so much seriousness going on and, you know, important topics that we talk about. When I can look at President Trump speaking at an arena that holds 20,000 people and there's maybe 6,000 people there, I mean, that's funny to me. It's very enjoyable. And by the way, I know Drexel wouldn't necessarily agree, but if that had happened to anyone that they were publicly saying, well, we've, we've given away a million tickets and only 6,000 show up, there'd be, a, there'd be a funny aspect to it, no matter who was delivering that speech. But when it's this president who you know how much it bothers and, and Bree, that's the, uh, the picture that we have. I don't know if the host will be able to see it, but uh, if you've all seen the picture of President Trump getting off Air Force One, walking back into the actual physical White House, he's holding the crumpled up MAGA hat He's got his uh, his orange spray paint on the collar of his shirt, um, and in my mind, oh, I missed that detail. Yeah, very, very I'll, I'll send it. I'll, yeah, I'll send yeah. you send it to you so you can zoom up on it. And the now's music- when we need to cir- circle the collar, yeah. circle the crumpled up hat. <laughs> we can't play music on this show anymore, but if we could, I would use the the music from the end credits of the old Incredible Hulk theme song when Bill Bixby's just walking on to the next town. It's called The Lonely Man. It's very sad. So, uh, you know, you see that and whatever accounts for it. And that's what we're going to talk about with Drexel before uh, we do let him get back to the busy work of uh, (laughs) saving our country that uh, the so just on a on a fundamental level, how do you think something like that happens where your campaign manager publicly says, well, we've given away a million tickets and I don't even doubt that some, you know, probably rounding up. But even if you say you had 900,000 tickets distributed and only 6,000 people show up and you have this overflow area where Trump and Pence were going to do a second speech, and I think I read that 20 people were there. I mean, yeah, I mean I, I'm sure everybody kind of say the same thing. This president has overly exaggerated pretty much every second of his presidency. And so, you know, this is, not, this is, this is consistent from day one. You know, this is this is a day one thing, and, and and here we are. You know, almost four years later. So, you know, I think this was just a continuation of trying to hype the president up to, uh, to be something more than he is, um, trying to reclaim a narrative that they didn't have. You know, they've been in a, it's been a string of bad press for the White House uh, and certainly for the campaign because this was supposed to be the rebirth of the Trump campaign after the pandemic. And so hyping this up uh, certainly um, was was part of their strategy. I mean, you just look at what Fox News, uh, or at least what the president tweeted about Fox News yesterday, about how Fox News had its highest rating uh, ever just from that Trump rally, which is to say that that means that not many people were watching Fox News to begin with, uh, if, if Fox News is getting its highest rating. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that's kind of where the the president's probably team was thinking and Brad Parscale, you know, he's a data guy. Um, all he was doing was looking at numbers and making and spinning them to where the president didn't blow up. And we've seen that the president can't handle bad numbers and certainly bad press. Uh, and I think as a campaign manager, you, um, at least in Brad Parscale's case, he probably felt that that was the right thing to do. Uh, and it didn't work out so well for him. And uh, that's what I'm seeing on on social media from the accounts that I follow that are uh, you know conservative or conservative leaning people uh, asking the question how exactly does Brad Parscale still have a job this morning you know I mean much less yesterday morning you know and uh, I, you never know how much longer that could be the case but it is interesting that uh, you know that that he's still there and maybe it's just because maybe it's like jury duty you know no one else actually wants the job so they're they're out to everyone else but uh, they're just waiting for you know who doesn't have a good enough excuse to be excused from it uh so you know it's uh obviously i think that there are a number of factors at work here i do think that uh, it, it's very easy to 
point to a, a president who won on a very on very slim margins, right over half in a lot of places, that it doesn't take much for you to be, you know, less than popular in less than half the country. And I think uh, there are even those who are somewhat defenders of the president who will who are infuriated really by the things that he's focusing on and the things that he's not. I mean, I think that the you know, the coronavirus response would, I think, have caught a lot of people by surprise. But as we've said on this show, not as much of a surprise, and they would have done something a little bit earlier. I, I don't think anybody was, you know, going to be keeping us all in our houses in early February. Nobody was going to cancel the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, at that point, that didn't seem like any reason. But, you know, it's easy to point at these big things. And I think that's really going to be what Joe Biden needs to do is, you know, yeah, we were talking about a slogan for him before. Now, a slogan for him could be, well, I'm not him. But at the same time, you want to get elected. You can't just be not that guy. Right. So right. Uh, and, and before I let you go, Drexel, what do you think are the things that, that I did almost call him President Biden? I've done that a few times. <laughs> Vice President Biden. What do you think, you know, if, if there's only a couple things, obviously, there's many things that he can highlight that are, are contra- contrast and compare with President Trump. What do you think are the one or two that are really the biggest? Like, this is what you're going to get that you haven't had for the last four years. I think the vice president's already talked about, uh, or at least the the narrative around the vice president certainly is integrity first. And I think that that's certainly something that the vice president and his team is probably going to highlight over the next few months. Um, but I also think that he has gotten an opportunity and he's certainly taking it uh, to highlight uh, the more progressive ideals of the Democratic Party uh, in a way that makes sense to people. Um, and I think that that's what's been missing um, from parts of our party. Uh, and he's going to be able to work with, uh, you know, Senator Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Uh, and here, you know, even today we saw Karen Bass's name here, and you know, as a part of somebody who uh, might be vetted to be vice president. And so I, I think that that's what, that's what you are seeing. And I think that's what you're going to see over the next few months out of Vice President Biden's campaign. Now, whether or not he governs like that is going to be a little bit different, uh, but that's certainly something going to be the biggest contrast between the vice president and and what Donald Trump's been doing, um, which is to highlight all the issues um, that have been swept under the rug by the party uh, over the past few years, um, and, and just you know in a way that makes sense. So uh, I'm kind of excited about that, and that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, here in LA over the next few months is less about, uh, not necessarily about Joe Biden, but all, all about the Democratic Party issues. Because if you look at the California Democratic Party platform, uh, we have, of course, the most progressive platform in the nation. Uh, a lot of the issues that uh, people who are moderate or more progressive uh, in the party, I mean, it's kind of all there. And we're going to be highlighting a lot of those issues to make sure the Democrats uh, here in California uh, certainly get elected up and down the ballot. And then, of course, help the vice president. Who would you like to see as his VP? Oh, man. Well, in well while you think about it, I'm going to point out that the, the person that I most want to see as Joe Biden's vice president isn't eligible, Chelsea Galicia. She cannot actually, she's not old enough. She can't be the vice president. So, uh, Wait, so what? You're yeah. not old enough. You can't be the vice president. I'm saying no. you're not 35. Even if I'm wrong, just go with it. <laughs> He's trying to yeah, give you a nice uh, uh, compliment. He'll be 37 in two weeks. Fake news. No but, shame. Yeah, I'm just, I, all right. <laughs> no, listen, I think I think that there's a lot of really great women out there that have whose names have been thrown out there. Obviously, I'm more partial to Kamala Harris, but I think that there are some I think that there are some really good um you know, I can tell you it's not gonna be. It's not gonna be Amy Klobuchar because she's already dropped the name out. But um but look, I, I don't think you can go wrong with any of the women whose names have been floated out there. Um, we've got some really great Democrats, and and I think that whoever the vice president is going to pick, um, you know, I was told somebody on the phone this uh, just a few minutes ago before I popped on, which was the reality is the vice president has already indicated that whoever he chooses will be a person who could be president on day one. It won't be somebody who is just a, uh, you know, just a name just to be a name. It's got to be somebody who's ready. It's got to be somebody who's young. And I think in this case, the vice president's going to go back to what we know in the sense that we know that whoever is going to be the vice president needs to be a party, um, needs to be somebody who can carry the party for the future. 
And, and we've got to get back to that because we've got to get back to starting to build the party as well, which is where Barack Obama kind of fell off uh, in, in that sense uh, about rebuilding that party. And people, you can say what you want to about Barack Obama. They have a, a, a fundraiser later today with, uh, he has a fundraiser later today with Joe Biden. But, you know, in this case, I think Joe, Joe Biden is certainly going to focus on somebody who can be a party banner carrier, but who is also going to be ready uh, to be president on day one. So, you know, sorry to those who think it should be somebody, um, some up and comer. Uh, but the reality is we don't have time for an up-and-comer uh, to be a vice president when we need uh, somebody who's going to be ready. If, vice, if the vice president only Because they one, very well may need to step in pretty quick. Right, sure. uh, and, 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 and if the vice president certainly only serves one term, uh, we're going to mm-hmm. be looking at the next person uh, to be that standard bearer uh, in, the ne- in 2024. So it's got to be somebody who can well, uh, be our nominee, who could potentially be our nominee. Uh, in 2024. Right. And and I would right. say, uh, I'll let Chelsea have the final word because she was very polite and raised her hand. But uh, <laughs> what I would say, the optics work really well is that, uh, you know, Trump will never wear a mask wherever he goes. And ev- almost every time you see Biden outside, he's got the mask on. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure it's a, it's just sending a clear signal. It's like, you know, I just so you guys know, I'm taking this seriously. You know, I, I said just last week, President Trump isn't in the kind of health where he feels like he should be able to weather the storm on a virus like this. You know, uh, Joe Biden knows how old he is. He knows he's susceptible, but it's not like Trump's that much younger. And I think he might weigh three times the size of him. Nobody has to comment on that. That's just my opinion. Uh, Chelsea, what did you want to say as our last word to Drexel before we can uh, let him go and stop wasting his time with our silliness? No, no. I'll be back. Okay. Well, of course I have to ask this. So I heard him say, and Drex will tell me if I'm wrong, that there were progressive ideas that before maybe didn't make sense, but that makes sense to more moderate Democrats now, perhaps including yourself. I don't know if I heard that right, but I'm wondering if there are any policies that to you in 2016 sounded too extreme and impractical that now, um, do you think makes sense? Good question. Uh, I, that's a good question. I don't know that what I, I think when you have somebody like, and I was just saying this to somebody on the phone earlier, I was, what I was saying was Joe Biden is not more progressive than Hillary Clinton. That's a fact. And the reality is Hillary Clinton, while trying to explain more progressive policies, it just did not connect with people. And that is something that Joe Biden can do better than Hillary Clinton can. And he certainly has the people around him in the fact that, you know, he doesn't have a Bernie Sanders who is going to attack him from the left. You know, they've certainly figured out their dynamic. He's certainly going to be working well with a lot of the progressive uh, base across the, uh, uh, that, that he's brought onto the team um, as well. So I think it's just going to be a little bit easier for him to do that. To answer your question, obviously, we've already seen some of the things um, through this pandemic that can be changed, whether or not on, on, on healthcare in particular. You know, that's certainly something where we need to re-examine um, employer-based healthcare as it pertains to um, um, how we make sure that everybody is insured uh, going forward. And, and that's just something, you know, sometimes you got to go through something for people to kind of understand. Uh, and, and, and in the same situation where we're talking about criminal justice reform. I mean, if we had not seen the video uh, of Christian Cooper, if we had not seen the video of George Floyd, if we had not if we had not heard the story of Breonna Taylor, if we had not seen the story um, of Elijah McClain, uh, who you know, it, the, the, if we had not seen those stories in the way that they were presented, um, we would not be in the position that we are right now uh, on criminal justice reform. And um, and and I think that you're starting to see uh, Democrats respond to that a little bit better. Um, you know, those, so, so I think that there are a lot of things that, you know, there are a lot of things that Democrats can digest in small amounts, the democratic base, the democratic voter. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately that's the unfortunate reality, right? Cause voters can only digest so much. And so we've got to be able to explain to them in a way that makes sense. And Joe Biden to me can explain things a little bit better than Hillary Clinton can, not just because of what, however, whatever people thought about Hillary Clinton for the last 20, 30 years or whatever. It's the fact that Joe Biden is just a likable person, not saying that Hillary Clinton was not uh, to some of us, but, but, for the, but for the vast majority of voters, Joe Biden is just folksy enough to explain it to you, to where you're going to listen to what he has to say. And it's going to be so plain that you're going to be like, nah, that makes a little bit more sense. You know, where, where Bernie Sanders might have said the exact same thing, um, but there were so many people that just did not like Bernie Sanders. 
And so that is the that is the position that Joe Biden's in right now that he can take going into November is that he's just likable. And and so um, but, you know, listen, I, I, I am the first to say uh, if we can if we can figure out a way to do it, I don't think my position has, has ever been we can't do it. It's how do we do it? You know, and I think that we have to figure out a better way to explain to people how we get it done. And uh, because because if not, you're going to be disappointing people when you don't get it done. And that's not a position that Democrats can be in. Is that what you're saying about progressive policies that unless people can understand the nuts and bolts of how it's going to get done, we're not even going to put that out to people because then it's essentially promising something that we can't deliver on. Um, I, I think that there is, I think that if you're going to present policy that it needs to be like right now, for example, the term defund the police, right. Is taking, it's taking up so much oxygen of trying to explain it. Right. Right. Instead of That's getting immediately right what I thought is it of providing the opportunity to actually have the conversation about it that we wouldn't. I, I, I think, I, sure, 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 sure. You can certainly, I mean, that's certainly a strategic thing. And I'm sure that's the part of the reason why people are saying, um, are using phrases like that. Um, but I just know that it's taking a lot of conversation just to get past the no, 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 we're not doing that. That's not what that means. Like you have to say, that's not what that means before you actually get to what it means. And so that's a hard position to be in when you're trying to art, when you're trying to backtrack before you actually get to what you're trying to say. And, and, and like I said at the beginning, we already have a, we are, Democrats already have a communication problem. Donald Trump was able to tap into people because it was so simple that simple minded people understood it. And yeah, so but do we really want to like, we're not trying to dumb things down that much. Have to. What I am saying, what I am saying is that is that you we live in an age where we're te- in a tech age where everybody everything everybody gets things very quickly. Everything is hashtagable. Everything is quick. Everybody wants things quick, uh, and 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 the expectation is there. We've already set. Well, I mean, defund the police is very quick and hashtagable. It just requires that you think critically. Yeah. Are we and, is America is, is America in the position to be thinking critically right now? Right. That's the, I mean, I would exactly. hope so. That's really, but I mean, that's that's really where question. we are right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying like that's the that's the challenge that we have going into November is that Donald Trump is not making people think critically because he's out there saying lies that are so simple that you're like, actually, that's a simple lie. But <laughs> if I was one of his supporters, I'd be like, well, yeah, that's that, that should probably be it. And where Democrats are like, well, we got to we got to figure out how to not say what we're saying and then try to backtrack and do all this other gym, mental gymnastics on people. And nobody has time. We just we just don't live in an age right now where anybody has time for mental gymnastics. And- uh, well, I love gymnastics as a former gymnast, and I think some <laughs> mental variety gymnastics is actually very good for us. It causes these conversations. Confusion actually causes people to seek out clarity and answers versus if it was just a a hashtag of refund our communities. It's like, eh, you think you know what that means. And it just is so like vanilla. And it just is like, whatever. You don't really think much about it. It doesn't get any airtime. Right. So I hear what you're saying, but I think, um, I, I think hopefully we're a little bit over these really simple one-liners that have no substance to them. And we know that real life has nuance to it and yeah. requires Chelsea, critical do thinking. You, do you well, want to win in November or not? Yeah. If you want <laughs> no, to win, let's keep it to the, let's keep it to the slogan. That makes sense. Yes. Uh, and uh, do, you know, yeah. Drexel, uh, I, I, I think just for me, the, the one thought is, Obviously, you know, people are very passionate and very mobilized. You know, you see all, all these uh, these marching and these protests for really important issues. And then you start to get distracted. It's like, yeah, sure, absolutely. We can knock down some statues for Confederate generals. And then it's like, I think to your more moderate voters are like, well, wait a minute. I mean, Andrew Jackson was a president. I, I understand that, uh, you know, George Washington owned slaves. I understand what's wrong with that. But I wonder if that becomes the sort of thing that's very easy because yeah, what Trump has left, I think the, 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 in his arsenal is to demonize crazy leftists and progressives that look what they want to do. They want to, they, they, they don't just hate me. They hate all the presidents before except Obama, but you know, they want to get rid of all the, all these statues, you know, they just, uh, so 
uh, I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm not even saying that the spirit and the passion is wrong. I just think that it's very easy for him to paint with that very broad, very red brush that he has. And uh, I, I don't even, I don't even orange. know what the response is to that. <laughs> That's true. You know yeah, what? You're right. It I, is definitely I, I, very orange. I, I think you're really, you're, you're right about the noise that's surrounding a lot of what's going on right now. And, and I always tell people, you know, the same path, you know, there were a lot of folks uh, in 2016, a lot of folks, 2018, and certainly this year that will go on Facebook and write out five paragraphs on Facebook. And I said, if you took that, if you used an ounce of that same energy in writing that paragraph uh, outside and getting people to vote and getting people engaged and, and, and actually running yourself or doing any of the things that could help democracy out instead of writing out your life story on Facebook, um, we might actually win this thing. And so I hope that those same people out there who are bringing down, uh, bringing down statues or really fighting in the streets and protesting and things like that are going to be those same people uh, that get to the voting booth uh, this, this November. Uh, if not, uh, we're going to be in trouble. You know, uh, to, to that point of like using your energies in a way, and I'm talking more about the person writing on Facebook to a way that's more constructive. You know, a, a friend of mine has this group she's a part of and they spend like, you know, Saturday afternoons and they write postcards to voters in, you know, states that are very competitive. And it's just like, hey, you know, you might not know you're still registered to vote or maybe, you know, there's little things like that, little reminders to, to people. I don't know exactly how you get the voter rolls. I don't even know it, you know, but that's a perfect example of like, instead of writing it on Facebook where you're not going to convince anyone, maybe, you know, do somebody, you know, do write something to somebody in, in another state where it could be useful. Uh, Scott, I know I talked over you and I know that I tried to let Drexel go three times, but I didn't want to <laughs> steal the thunder away from Scott has the talking stick. <laughs> well, now I'm like, I've lost the train of thought of what we were talking about before, but, but I was going to say to, to Drexel's point, it's like, it, it's true that unfortunately we do have to keep it really simple. I mean, the, the problem is like, we were talking about with Trump, it's like defund the police, then it becomes a talking point, you know, to go after the suburban women voters and say, look, they're defunding the police. That means they don't want to have any police around. And, you know, like, to, you know, Chelsea says we, we want to have more nuance and thought, but the problem is a lot of people don't. They're, you know, too busy in their world. They want to get everything quick, like Drexel said, and then all they see is defund the police. And that becomes to them a literal stripping the police of all the money. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the podcast of like, if we could find a way of rephrasing that to help people understand what that really means, does it mean, you know, there's no police anywhere or there's no money for the police departments and it's things like that. And, and to Drexel's point, that's how Trump was able to pull off a win. When you say make America great, build the wall, you know, crooked Hillary, you know, lock her up. Those, even though they're incredibly stupid, they worked very well into getting a point across on exactly what you're going to do. And that is going to still be important for Democrats and for voters and to get some of those moderate voters that might be, you know, Republican leaning or conservative leaning independents, if you can get something that's going to be very simple, very easy to say, and gets people out there to vote too. And as I was going to say earlier, I think Biden also needs to have a really great economic plan. That's the one thing that Trump still has. Uh, that's the only thing he has left. I mean, granted, the economy's not doing well right now, but in a matchup, people still think, for whatever reason, and I still don't understand why that Trump is uh, better on the economy. So I, that's something that Biden's going to need to blunt as well to differentiate himself and say, look, here's this great economic plan that we're going to do for everybody, not just for the very wealthy. And I've even had some of my Republican and conservative leading friends in other states who have said, you know, that tax cut uh, that they passed in 2017 did not help them at all. And in fact, it's made it worse for some of, you know, my family and friends uh, in Florida and other battleground states. So I'm hoping that if Biden can also talk about the economy and what his plan is going to be, but that's going to help some of those Republicans who feel like that tax cut went to just the wealthy and really didn't affect them at all. And that's where I think that'll be able to help pull even more votes um, to the Democrats as well. We have a really good, solid economic plan to say, no, Trump is not the one that has, you know, the ownership of that. And this is why, and this is what we're going to do to keep the Obama, you know, economy that was growing through both, you know, his terms, and we're going to continue that into the 20s. So that's going to be important, too, I think. Well, I think, uh, Scott, the biggest reason why people think that Trump is better on the economy is because he says it all the time. That's really the, <laughs> yeah. the main reason. Yeah, that right. clear messaging. And, 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 but that's and, the messaging. And, right. And, and, the, and the other part of that is, is that, 
you know, I think people, you know, I've had my, you know, fair share of progressive uh, ills on this show plenty. Um, <laughs> But, however, looking at me. no, 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 no. <laughs> but, but what I, what I, what the, the reality is, is that we also, while we are, while you know, I, you know, support Jamal over Representative Engel in New York. Um, I certainly understand that here in LA, Christy Smith, uh, a more moderate candidate, works for CD uh, CA twenty five. I also understand that our Orange County here in in in, in California is a lot more purple-ish red than it is blue, even though we have more voters in Orange County. And, and pockets here in LA, where in the Valley, are, are, are traditionally more conservative-leaning Democrats than it would be in a Hollywood or Silver Lake or anywhere else. So I think that people, as we continue to have this conversation about where Democrats can go, we can't forget uh, some of the pockets that, 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 are, that are not um, in the same area or in the same mindset as we are. Uh, particularly Mark Kelly is not going to go out there and say the words defund the police. Eamon McGrath in Kentucky certainly is not going to do that. It just won't work for those those states. And uh, while everybody's out there trying to talk about Charles Booker, who may or may not be great in Kentucky, Kentuckians just are not going, we'll see tonight. Uh, but mm -hmm. my take on it is that we won't see Kent white Kentuckians and certainly white Democrats uh, vote for uh, a, a progressive leaning black candidate in the state of Kentucky. Um, that's just not where the Democratic Party is in that state. Uh, and so while we're trying to make a big wash of what the Democratic Party, uh, um, while progressives are trying to make it into something uh, that can be a big one focused thing, um, uh, I, think it's, I think we also have to remember that there are pockets of America that just are not on the same page yet. Well, uh, to, yeah, to your mm -hmm. point about uh, Orange County, as uh, I, I may or may not have mentioned, I'm actually doing the show down from Orange County for about a month because we're with my in-laws. And uh, to your point about it being purple, I, I went to a supermarket and there was only one person not wearing a mask. And because it's Orange County, no one was, no one was confronting her, not even the people who work there. They let her check, check out. But everyone else, employees and shoppers, and there were plenty of them, they all were wearing them. And, and as you know, at least in, at the time I went, op uh, it was an optional thing wearing masks in Orange County. So uh, yeah. people are like, yeah, I don't have to, but I might as well. You know, hey guys, so, uh, did you know that the pandemic has skipped Newport Beach. I was down there yeah. this weekend and riding a bike down the strand and the bars were as crazy as they yeah. like, like I was still in college. You know, I went to UC Irvine and I mean, they were packed with lines out the door. I, I mean, yeah, well, apparently the pandemic has completely well, Scott can, a, Scott can attest to it, despite what the news says, uh, Corona never made it to Florida. It just, it right. just didn't happen there. So everybody can do everything yeah. they want and it's fine. Disneyland's going to reopen. Uh, anyway, uh, Drexel, uh, your 20 minutes turned into like 40. That's so totally fine. So much. We'll definitely Thanks, talk guys. to you soon, especially around always, convention time. Always good to see all of you. All right. You go too. Bye, 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 guys. Bye-bye. And uh, Tamara, I feel really bad because I, f I felt like uh, I didn't do a good job of including you in the conversation, but you were talking about something interesting before we started. Aren't I was, always? You're always, yeah. <laughs> before the show. Before the show, we're all great. And then once it starts, you know. <laughs> Everybody's good. Everybody's good. Everybody's there. good except me right. once the actual show starts. But um, you were talking about how I guess you were watching or listening to something that you were finding encouraging, and I thought that would be worth sharing with our audience. Well, specifically, you know, on the topic of defund the police, um, I was listening to the uh, Los Angeles Police Commission town hall, and um, they were presenting their plan for their, you know, they've, they've had this uh, $250 million um, reduction in the budget, which is a joke. It's a joke uh, compared to the amount of funding that the LAPD, it, it's, it's not even the annual increase. Uh, it, it barely covers what the, the, the natural annual increase of the police budget uh, would have been anyway. But they were talking about their steps of the directions that they plan to go. And it was all about training. We want to train the police. We're going to do these, you know, body cams are essential and these um, bias training sessions, which 
historically have not worked. Police departments have been claiming that they've been putting bias training into place for the past 20 years. It has not worked. Body cams have not worked. Police officers turn them off. They say that they, they, they malfunctioned. These things don't work. So then when they opened it up for the public to, to get involved in the conversation and they give, they give, uh, they only provide 30 minutes, uh, a minute a piece for people talking, but every single person just, just handed the, the entire police commission their asses because they were like, this is unacceptable to, to give us this BS that, that bias training, it's accountability. Accountability is what we need from the police department. These officers, even now, ever, ever since uh, the weeks since George Floyd was killed, there have been numerous murders taking place all over the country, but especially in Los Angeles County, which just goes to show that even with this much focus on the police department, they feel no scrutiny whatsoever. They are still that convinced of their, uh, of, of their um, safety and in, 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 in being hold, held to any sort of accountability, their, in, their infallibility. It's just, it's just absolutely amazing. So every, every single person that, that they took a call from was just saying, you know, how dare you? One person was the sister of somebody who was actually murdered by the police. She was talking about her brother. One person chastised um, the, the uh, additional chief that they had brought in on the call to present these these claims saying like, you know, how dare you mention uh, this autistic man, one of the people that is is a recent casualty and you don't even say his name and, you know, just telling them like you, how do you people not get it with what we're in right now and the weeks and weeks of the protests and the demonstrations and, and the, how fired up the city is and you people still just don't get it. How is that possible? It's just amazing. So sociopath. Yeah. So Chelsea, as you were saying, you know, we, we need critical thinking now. I, I, what Drexel was saying, I do agree that like you need to present to, to the general public, the most broad, simple term for, for the majority of people to digest it. But Chelsea, I would say that I am optimistic that critical thinking, I think Donald Trump actually has improved critical thinking nationally because he he fired up he lit a fire under so many people's asses who maybe only moderately paid attention to politics before the Trump administration maybe they only you know tangentially cared about what was going on but now those same people they know who every single one of their house representatives are they're writing letters they are um you know they're understanding terms that they've never understood before it's 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 um it's brought out this this critical thinking in people who I, I don't, I don't know if it would have come out um, had Trump not been in office these past well, few years. I, I think that there's a certainly something to be said for that. And it, it's, you know, to the extent that you're talking about, about how more active people are, I think on a much more passive level, I think that it might speak to a lot more people who are like, Oh yeah, I don't vote. You know, like, I don't, I don't worry about that stuff. So if you get enough of those people and look, you're going to have people that are, uh, you know, going to, that haven't been involved that for whatever reason, they gravitate towards what president Trump's saying. But I do think that sort of being this very polarizing figure, I mean, it's, it's like the people who love him could not love him anymore. And the the people who uh, let's just say dislike him uh, just hate him with the white hot passion of a million sons, you know. Yep. So, and I think that there are going to be people who are like, oh yeah, yeah, I gotta I gotta vote this time. And maybe maybe you go in and you and you just vote for president because you're like, I don't know who anybody else is. But I, I do think it has that effect, and uh, I I think that it's. I don't know. I think it'll be very easy to look back on, you know, decades from now to understand this time better because, you know, sort of go back to what we were talking about in the intro. There's the uh, comedic element of looking at a, a president in the quarter, almost quarter full uh, arena, which was supposed to be, you know, kicking off the 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 second leg of his uh, his reelection campaign, really. And when you see that, but it's like, OK, so are people not passionate about him? Maybe. Are people even in Oklahoma afraid to be in an in you know a confined indoor space? 
somebody very conservative that I follow who uh, is a friend of a friend, somebody I, I like very much. He's, you know, somebody will probably vote for Trump. He just said not holding it outdoors was stupid, you know, because it's like insisting that it be indoors, insisting that people don't need to wear masks. It's like you're going to make some people who want to vote for you just not feel safe. You know, there's supposed to be. Uh, or you're going to make some people who want to vote for you die. Yeah. Look, I mean, there's <laughs> there's that, too. And I mean, there's a there's an event in uh, in Phoenix this afternoon where, you know, they're saying that uh, it's expected to draw 3000 people, but they're uh, changing the system. Uh, I was reading that there there were a few hundred people outside for it, but that doesn't mean that it won't change, you know, uh, but the fact that and, you know, you know, you read a lot of things online, you don't know what's entirely accurate, but the idea that thousands of tickets might've been snatched up by just, you know, involved teenagers, TikTok users, and fans of Korean pop music. I mean, who knew that uh, they might save the Republic, the fans of K-pop. And to me, what's funnier than that? That's what I was getting at with Drexel. If that happened to a Joe Biden event, I'd be like, okay, that's really funny. Happens to President Trump. It's, it's still very funny, but you just see the way it drives him crazy. You know, the fact yep. that he was, a, you know, he didn't come out right away. He was supposed to come out and, you know, he was, by all accounts, displeased, let's say, that, uh, that it wasn't the, the sea of people that he's used to looking out at. So uh, I, I don't know. And, you know, we'll, we're about to run out of time. We might even be a little bit over time. But I, I want to kind of ask each of you, what do you think? And I know it's just one event, but it was supposed to be the big event. What do you think we can attribute to the let's just say less enthusiastic uh, turnout for President Trump's event. I'll ask you first, Tamara. I, I all I'll say is that um, it, I want. I don't know how many uh, of the seats had been like uh, were pranked by uh, TikTok stars and and hundred thousand fans. I wish that they just would have kept it quiet though. Like, what's the point of saying, you know, see what I did? It's like now, now he can be like, well, those would have been filled with, yeah. you know, it, it, it just, it right. the, time, the time to do that is the day after election day. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. you remember when these things happen? Yeah. Hashtag team K-pop. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. still, even though that was only 300,000 out of the 1 million that was supposed to be there, that still leaves 700,000 minus 6,000 people that were no-shows or were never reserved in the first place. So kudos to them, but they didn't even make But I I don't know. I mean, Scott, do you think realistically, I mean, look, Oklahoma is a a very red state. Do you think there's an enthusiasm problem for President Trump? I, I would, I'm not convinced that there is this, this event makes you think that there certainly might be though. You know, I like before that event, I wouldn't have said, you know, Oklahoma is a place that has to worry about it. It, it made sense, uh, obviously, for the racist connotations that we talked about last week, picking uh, Tulsa. But uh, do you think Oklahoma and, you know, other red states, there is legitimately this enthusiasm problem or are people just afraid of the virus? Um, I think it's a little bit of, of both, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, he keeps talking about bringing things back to normal normal and you know going out there and pretending like it doesn't exist but the issue is a lot of the voters that are going to be most concerned are his most ardent supporters which are seniors and that's why you're starting to see the numbers for him dip in florida um you know it's like he he's losing those senior voters and those are the people that are going to go out and vote they have been voting you know they're they're the most supportive um i thought it was very symbolic that the the seats were blue um but i (laughs) I do think it is an enthusiasm gap. And the thing is, is it starts to feed upon itself because, you know, we, we like winners in America. We like to be with winners. And you could see that speech wasn't his best speech either in his best rally. And people were starting to tune out. You saw a lot of videos uh, that were posted were yawning. And the thing is, it starts to feed on itself. And if, if ardent supporters are starting to see like that, he couldn't even fill a ruby red, you know, state and city with his most passionate supporters, that does start to feed upon itself. Yes, I do think he's going to have that base of 20% of the the population that's going to go for him no matter what and is going to be there. But it's those other people that are kind of on the line that he could start losing that that support. And that would spell a big problem for him. And I think it does still, as an incumbent running for re-election, if you cannot get your voters out like that, that spells deep trouble uh, in, in the fall. If that continues, of course, there's plenty of time for that to change. 
But I do think that that's going to be a, a pretty big problem for him going forward. Well, I, I think you give the American people uh, too much credit. The way I see it is you have 40% of people who are going to vote for him no matter what. 40 percent yeah 40 percent who are going to vote for him no matter what and then there's that that other 20 percent that's what's actually going to decide the election i think you get 40 people that will never vote for 40 percent of people will never vote for donald trump 40 percent of people will never vote for joe biden right no i agree with that i'm saying his supporters though the people are going to go to rallies there's only about 20 percent i'm not talking that's true republican leaning people they're going to vote and hold their nose and vote for him because it's you know a republican over but i i don't think you know he has anything more than a twenty percent. Maybe they should have advertised that there. Maybe he should advertise that there were free hats. I, I don't know. Maybe that's what the problem was. They didn't get the word out. Um, we're we're over time, but we're not being chased out. So I want to take probably two minutes. Uh, John Bolton's book came out and uh, didn't really say anything. Probably anybody on this show is surprised by. Um, I did find the court ruling uh, a little bit surprising that. Well, look, it's already out. People have read it, so I don't have to stop it. I think that, you know, that's from a logical standpoint, but I'm like, it's almost like, well, you know, the crime's already been committed, so why should we arrest him? And I don't mean Bolton's book. That's, you know, it just sort of made me think of that. It's like, well, look, the window's already broken. What do you want me to do? You know? So um, were you surprised? that was actually the nicest thing a judge could have yeah, that's what's going to ask you, Chelsea. A finding could could have gone down because if the judge had said, "This is not uh, this this is protected speech, and none of this is classified," then that would welcome more people to write books. Yeah. But in a way, this was actually helpful for Trump that it was this kind of well, weird logic that, that that's what that's what that side of the argument is saying. Actually, that that's why they're saying it was a good ruling. Uh, and uh, Trump's convinced that he should still go to jail and have all of his uh, his uh, profits uh, seized from it. Um, how how realistic is that? And I, I look, somebody was kind enough to send me a PDF of the book. I, I I can't say I've even clicked on it, but I have it. I'm kind of interested, but I'd rather just read articles that tell me what's in it. You'd rather just hear Sarah Huckabee Sanders' review of it. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Hey, is there yes. maybe going to be a YouTube channel where we could find Sarah Huckabee Sanders giving a review of it? I just as a thought <laughs> off the top of my head. Let's wait till she's governor, then that'll come out. <laughs> yeah, that, that's when the that's when the impression has to get dusted off. But uh, Chelsea, realistically, I mean, is you know from what you're hearing is in it? Does it feel like something that that he actually? I'm talking about Bolton. That there could actually be criminal charges. No. I mean, yeah. very, very simply, just no. To, for, for Bolton to say Trump was much more concerned about his reelection and he actually solicited the help of foreign leaders in getting reelected. He didn't really care about the substance of, of whatever he was meeting this leader for. It was all about his reelection. That is Bolton's experience, observation, that is not Trump saying, you know, I'm planning on invading X country and which would have been, you know, obviously classified conversation. So I, I just, I, I don't see it. Of course, of course, Trump is going to say he should be arrested for it. Anything that Trump doesn't like, he thinks, you know, that person should go to hell immediately. Actually, I'm not quite sure he believes in hell because but anyways, different conversation. Um, go to California. Same thing to Trump. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but legally, no. There's nothing that's going to happen from from this book. Yeah. Although, you know, I, I am still pissed at Bolton for not. Um, yeah, I think I think most people are saying, like, I don't want to read the garbage. book. You should have said right. all of this, you know, uh, under oath. Uh, we've got about yeah, now what? you want to profit off of yeah. it when you could have actually helped save the country. Yeah. Yeah, helps the no, country. I know, yeah, I, 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 and look, I understand that argument, but the fact that the book is out, what, uh, and I assume it's not on the uh, Scott Moore's uh, book club list, but uh, what, from what you're hearing about what's in it, what are what are just some of your thoughts about you know what Bolton has to say? I mean, look again, it's no surprise. Uh, we all know who Trump is at this point. Um, you know, some of us caught on to that earlier than others, um, but. I think it's actually when you really step back, because I really have never liked John Bolton. I think he's always just been such a neoconservative when, you know, he was in the George W. Bush administration and everything. But when you really take a step back to think, oh, my God, here is, you know, a, a neoconservative, like a, 
Republican through and through writing this about a president. When you take a step back from that, it's pretty damning and incredible to think about. It's just something that you would not imagine you know, ever happening with John Bolton writing a book about George W. Bush or whatever, or you have someone like a John Bolton being able to write such a book. But in the general sense, it's not a surprise. It's more of the same. And um, like Chelsea said, there's nothing they could possibly do. I remember last week you were kind of touched on that about, you know, the Justice Department trying to say they were going to stop the book from being released. I mean, it's it's all ridiculous. So, you know, none of it's a surprise. Um, but again, I, I agree with Chelsea. It's like, like, if you really cared, he should have come and, you know, gone to the impeachment trial and at least spoke to the house uh, of what he knew and the fact right. that he didn't and he gave some very weak excuse about it by saying well they should have investigated everything because he did all these other things here and like but the point was there was no way to do that anyways in the well, time frame because well, Tam- of the stonewalling but that's Tam- all the now practice yeah Tamara, in our, our final in our final minute mm-hmm. i want to give Tamara the last word whether it's about uh, bolton or any of the other fun-filled topics we've covered today uh it can be Michael about bolton, bolton but doesn't well, no, Michael Bolton should be thrown in jail. I, I think everybody's going to agree with me on that. Have all of his money seized and, uh, you know, donated to charity. Uh, yeah, Tamara, what do you think about Michael Bolton? <laughs> Better than John. Uh, none of us have touched on the mustache. Uh, I think the mustache is, is all the man's got going for him. He's complete you garbage. Love that does yeah. anybody, does, has anybody who's had any ounce of... Uh, participation in this administration have any ethics whatsoever i mean no answer's no so why are we surprised sean spicer no no wait um whoa oh paul manafort okay look i'm gonna get back to you next week i'm gonna come up with somebody you'll see you'll all be like all right yeah that's that's it But until then, uh, thanks to everybody. Good luck with that. Thanks for uh, our pal Drexel Hurd, who uh, paid us a visit. Uh, and uh, Chelsea, I we keep not talking about your book. I'm very sorry. We're going to talk about your book very soon. But tell people about Save Yourself. Yes, it is a personal finance book that's way cooler than the rest of the personal finance books that you've uh, heard about or Obviously. seen, but it's save yourself. And it's de- the subtitle is develop the financial fitness to spend in alignment with your values, not ego. That's what save stands for. So if that resonates with you, check it out on Amazon. And Scott, what's the name of your book? <laughs> I know I need to, I, I need to get busy writing one. No, but I would say Chelsea got to read her book. It is pretty incredible. And it will help. I think finances is, is a mystery for most people too. So it's very important to have something that is relatable for people to understand. So, yeah, thank you. Well, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a, a non Tuesday special episode where we just talk about Chelsea's book because book club. The, the news it's keeps getting club. in the way. So we'll figure <laughs> out when we schedule that, and we'll let everybody know. And uh, Tamara, we all know you've written many books, but pick what one thing you'd like to promote. Oh gosh, you know what? Follow me on Twitter. That's my book <laughs> at HeyTamara underscore. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ. And Thursday is over on the Popcorn Talk Network for Marvel movie news. And over here on After Buzz also on Thursdays for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. after show. And season two of The Twilight Zone all drops next th- this Thursday on CBS All Access. So you can find me on the panel for that as well. But until next Tuesday, thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you then. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.